From Ratterman Studios, this is High Pressure, a podcast where industry leaders discuss common challenges, industry trends, and daily operations surrounding gases and welding. Here's your host, George Ratterman. Welcome to another episode of High Pressure Podcast. We're here today with our guest, General Air. General Air is an industrial gas provider based in Denver with multiple locations throughout Colorado. We're so fortunate to have them because they're such a dynamic company, touching so many different industries within their marketplace. If you wouldn't mind, if each person can introduce themselves, maybe just get a little overview, that would help me a lot. Um, I know your company well, and I know the reputation of your company well, and I, I know we see each other at different meetings, but that would be really helpful. Let's start off. Should we start off with you, Ryan? Sure. Um, so I'm Ryan Craven. Uh, I'm our vice president and general manager. So for all those kind of what hap- what that means is HR, IT, safety, and our store retail um, kind of report up and funnel through me. And so it's kind of a big picture of, of what I do here. I'm, I'm a rookie on the, the call here. I've only been here about eight years. So um, the rest have a, a little bit more tenure underneath their belt. So that is me. Uh, I'll just go, Ed, you want to go next? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ed Conrad, and I am the production and cryogenic systems manager here at General Air. Uh, I like to think I have the most interesting job in in the company. I do get to interact with customers. I get to uh, work and see customer systems. Um, I, I get to work with our production folk uh, here in Commerce City. Uh, Commerce City to me feels like it is the heart of general air, uh, just because of the product, uh, you know, the origin of our product and the movement through here. Um, I've got responsibilities for the production guys, for the lab guys, uh, building services and, uh, our cryogenics team, which does the installations of systems along with, uh, maintenance and inspections for them. Uh, we get to deal with the fire department. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of excitement, uh, all around some of it's frustrating excitement, but I'll tell you a hurdle is always, uh, it's always nice when you're able to get over one. So, yeah, great. Thank you. All right. How about Scott? Hi. So Scott Fellhauer, Vice President of Sales for General Air. Uh, I've been with the company for a little over 20 years and I'm responsible for obviously all of the sales activities through our outside sales group and through our verticals, through beverage, our spec and medical, industrial, uh, our safety specialist. We have a, a bulk specialist that reports uh uh, through my area, as well as some responsibilities through our welding academy personnel and our welder repair personnel, uh, and our VMI group, our vendor managed inventory group as well. So, uh, touch a lot of different folks uh, on that side of uh, the sales aspect. Okay, great, thank you, Mike. You want to go next? Yeah, <clears throat> Mike Stevenson. I am the corporate logistics manager. Uh, been with the company a little over thirteen years. Have responsibility for purchasing uh, warehouse, our customer service team, and then uh, distribution. So dispatch, fleet, and Commerce City drivers. Um, yeah, Ed's definitely got the uh, the most interesting job for sure. Um, 
So I'd like to think that, uh, a lot of times I have the biggest headaches because you're trying to constantly make <laughs> miracles happen. Um, the biggest it's, a lot funner, it's a lot funner if you could make wine out of water, but we make argon appear at customers' tanks. So it's uh, similar. Uh, yeah, that is that is similar, Mike. Yeah, it's yeah. very similar. <laughs> so you're, you're the headache reducer, right? You're the, you're yeah, the we try. Yeah. Obviously, it's a team effort between, uh, you know, the production, cryo team, sales, you know, all of operations at the end of the day, we're just trying to make promises come true. So yeah, I think sales is a headache generator for Mike. And yeah. <laughs> so there's no question. There's absolutely no question. <laughs> yeah. So okay, great. Um, yep. Hey guys, I know that, uh, that we've met before Brad Armstrong, I'm president, uh, third generation, uh, business owner for general air. Um, I have by far the best job in the business because um, I get to work with each and every one of these gentlemen uh, on the screen here. Um, our org chart is, it, it works beautifully for us. It's not a traditional org chart. And so um, I have both uh, Mike and Ed that report directly to me as well as Scott and Ryan, uh, as well as marketing. Um, and as we put our org chart together, we, we just looked at the how we could divvy up the business based on strengths uh, and passions. And uh, that's kind of how we landed where, where we're at. So Ryan and I have probably the most blended responsibilities reporting up. And then, um, you know, Scott, Ed and Mike, it, it's a little bit more traditional, a little, a little easier to understand. Okay. Well, great. I really appreciate that overview. That was very helpful. So I think, you know, knowing we have so many really great folks in your organization to do this, I'm going to for sure have more questions or more panel orientated uh, that, that allows each person to kind of, you know, throw their, their flavor into it and what their thoughts are. I think that would work really well. You know, one of the things I wanted to understand a little bit better, and I find it really fascinating, the geography they're in, is that you've had really probably the forefront and maybe the, the, the deeper knowledge of anything going on with cannabis in the United States due to uh, maybe some of the laws that were allowed to do things in your, your state. I just wanted to kind of ask you today, you know, we're, we're experiencing cannabis across the country. Many distributors are now entering into that market and going through that learning curve. Uh, but I want to ask, as it sits today with cannabis, your level of excitement for the opportunity and the growth in the next five years, do you sort of think it's peaked or do you think it's got the next level ready to happen? So maybe I should start with sales on that one. That might be a good good place. Yeah, yeah it certainly has been a an interesting journey over the past, I don't know, what, 10, 12, 14 years since that started and navigating uh, all these new startups. Uh, no. Ed mentioned earlier about the permitting process. So each jurisdiction tends to be a little different with Denver being probably the most stringent. Uh, Colorado Springs is a close second. And what we have to do to, uh, you know, get installs and the permitting process. I think what we've seen here in the last few years is a lot of the smaller startups have, have gotten, uh, you know, acquired by some larger uh, companies and organizations. And some of those have expanded. Some have pretty much remained uh, steady throughout. And uh, I think the right now the market seems to be pretty flat. The supply is is pretty high and driving some of their pricing down current state. And so there is a little bit of that lull happening right now. 
uh, our opportunities for growth are really uh, taking on, uh, there's not really any new cannabis customers uh, starting up, but we have acquired business from our competitors that uh, have not been able to keep up with the demand of some of those customers. So, uh, and that gets back to the logistics of being able to make all those good deliveries. Is that a challenge or is that something you must work closely with your distribution, right? Which is you guys do bulk distribution. And is that, uh, Mike, I, I want to make sure I'm, I got the right person to say here. Is it Mike? Mike's right. Mike's right. Yeah. 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 So the cannabis customers are unique. Uh, Scott's right. It felt like 12 years ago was kind of a, the next chapter of the frat, you know, kind of, uh, just some buddies together, seeing what they could do, um, generate some revenue. And it's really advanced in some of the cannabis customers through their delivery requirements, through, uh, their delivery windows through, you know, potentially certs and just everything that goes into making the delivery has really become a lot more sophisticated and almost rivals some of our spec med clients. Really? Um, yeah, there's a, you know, at general air, we have a, you know, zero blind fill policy. So we want to get driver eyes on the tank, not just hook up to a fill box for safety. Right. Well, a lot of those accounts don't want our drivers walking through. So now you have to, you know, work with the customer to ensure, Hey, this is why we do it for safety. This is what we're going to do during each delivery. Um, you know, a lot of times the drivers have to put on, uh, Tyvek suits, uh, you know, go through, uh, some kind of screening process. So, um, yeah, definitely different than, uh, hooking up a hose to a McDonald's. Um, but that's you, one of the, and out of curiosity, when you have the, you know, I'm not a real knowledgeable person with cannabis, but I'm thinking you could like, you know, sometimes you hear about how you can absorb things just from the air and atmosphere. Do you, do you have to worry about drivers going into atmospheres where they could possibly be exposed or, yeah, we, we worry about drivers for a lot of areas. Um, it's not so much the, uh, what they're going to absorb. You could definitely tell when we've been to a cannabis grow operation. Um, it's either they, we deliver to a cannabis operation or there's a skunk running through the hallways. So it's oh, one of the two, you but smell. you could definitely, you, you could, that, that smell is brought back to the shop for sure. So, <laughs> so you just, you don't ask, you just say, I know where you came from. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the biggest thing. Um, but, yeah, that's been the biggest growth in uh, trying to manage these deliveries is they are, uh, you know, like I said, it's they've evolved over the last decade plus from a kind of just by the seat of their pants operation, a very sophisticated. Obviously, that goes back to being bought out by larger conglomerates, um, investment firms, things like that. So um, yeah. definitely some of the most sophisticated customers we have as far as requirements to serve them. Yeah. One of the biggest challenges we have with on the sales side is sizing a customer, even though we have tools that we can use to obviously get the square footage or uh, cubic volume of a room. Uh, we don't know how tight their rooms are, you know, from air turns to, you know, all the losses that occur. So we do our best to estimate what a tank size would be. <clears throat> our goal is always to fill that tank uh, like once a month. But if a customer's uh, air turns are you know much higher, or they they have a lot of holes where things you know CO2 escapes, then they're using much more product than we anticipated. So that again adds to the frustration or the challenge on the distribution side to say, 
Hey, we, we sized this for one month's month of delivery, but all of a sudden now we're going three times a month or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. uh, The thing you'd, you'd have to kind of understand too, is this industry just happened to us. Um, so it started as small customers with, uh, 20 pound cylinders. And I can remember the first couple of years, yeah, literally thousands and thousands of 20 pound CO2 cylinders were being sold out of our stores, um, sometimes dozens at a time. And, and as those producers or growers started to move into larger systems, um, it, it just kind of happened uh, to our business. And, and to be honest, we were kind of slow getting into the, aside from being open to the public, we were a little slow getting into the industry just because we were the first. And so if you've looked at something that's been illegal around you for your entire life growing <laughs> up, all of a sudden is legal, but your attorney is telling you, be careful because your assets are likely to get seized if the feds uh, determine that they're going to yeah. enforce federal law. Uh, we were very cautious, very slow. Some of our competitors were much faster. And then as different applications came to be extracting uh, cannabis uh, with N-butane, you know, being one of the first in the nation's not not a very comforting place to be when there are no rules and regulations. And some of this is feels like it's being done in a back alley yeah. uh, with a lot of bro science. Um, now, since then, the industry has grown tremendously and it's very sophisticated and it does rival and, and the customers are getting larger. And to be honest, that's where we fit better uh, than, than some of the smaller startups that were happening all around us. And as Brad said, there, there wasn't a lot of rules and, and requirements or restrictions at that time. And uh, the, the municipalities or the governing authorities here in Colorado started to get involved. And that is where um, the, the evolution of all the uh, needs for like environmental monitoring and the things to keep those specific customers and, and our employees safe uh, started to generate from. So that has been one of the hurdles that's been uh, pretty interesting to navigate. Yeah. And then, and also you hear you are putting a bulk or a larger tank in a facility and you have to worry about asphyxiation, right? You have to make sure that they're not. Yes, that that is that's the method that they're using is they will uh, intentionally be saturating their environment with uh, with a certain level of parts per million of CO2 uh, throughout the building. Um, and at some point, CO2 becomes dangerous for us and, and you can't sustain life within it. Uh, so it's that fine line that they walk on. The plant wants that, but the human body doesn't. So, right. You, have you from a production perspective, have you had to put certain things in place because tanks might come? back possibly contaminated where they're going to the outgas if you're when you're blowing them down or pulling a vacuum yeah we have we have seen that uh we have seen that in in uh return tanks and we did put into place specific measures to say um what we want to do on the butane side uh here's here's what we ended up doing is we put specific devices onto the tanks so that the tank couldn't have 
backfill come back into it. Uh, the butane tanks were the ones that we've seen that the most with. Oh, really? We have seen it with the CO2 uh, tanks also. And those ones, what we end up doing is we have uh, inspection capabilities to know what's inside that yeah. uh, tank. Do you put like RPV valves in, in all those tanks or is it just um, the inspection process? We don't have RPV valves in all of our CO2 tanks, but we do have a check valve on the butane tank. Okay. Um, and then what our process does is ensures that, you know, if a tank comes back without that valve on it, it goes through a specific inspection process uh, to assure that it's clean inside before we put a, before we put product back in it. So, you know, Mike, earlier you told a story about how when somebody comes back from the plant or for making a delivery, they have the, the skunk smell. So when I was first in sales, I ended up with an account. I was so proud. I got the account city of San Jose and they're doing a retrofit of their, their whole septic uh, sewer treatment plant. And I was so excited to have that. And I was out there for about, Oh, I don't know, two, three hours, different ponds. And we're doing all the welding. And I was so excited about it. And I left there. I made calls the rest of the day. And at the very end of the day, I came home to my house and, and my wife said to me, what happened to you? I said, what are you talking about? She said, you smell so badly. I said, what? I don't smell badly. But when I was out there, my nose got used to the smell. I didn't know it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, because I picked up the smell. It was, I guess it just clung to me. And I then realized I made sales calls all day long on people smelling <laughs> that bad. You know, yeah. I'm going, that's why everybody kind of had that standoffish feeling all day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> What are you trying to sell us? <laughs> Um, when we were opening up our location in Colorado Springs, we were looking for uh, buildings and my realtor took me to a very beautiful building right next to uh, a septic processing plant. And uh, as we opened up the door, I shut it quickly without taking my seatbelt off. And I said, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the next location. <laughs> so, you know, if you had to do it all over again, if, if you're, again, a distributor in another state has the advantage of seeing what and where you came from, would you have done anything different? Having known where we have, are today, I probably would have taken the handcuffs off my sales force and turned them loose. Okay. Um, I mean, we literally were very slow uh, within a couple of years of, of really moving into bulk supply. Um, and don't get me wrong, we've gotten our fair share of business in this market, um, but it was, it was done so hesitantly. Um, I've have peers of mine that have had uh, states open up and, and they were just better positioned. So they put in bulk supply assets for the extraction gases, you know, both an N-butane and instrument grade propane. I even have a, a friend of mine that's put in a pre-blended product. Wow. Uh, they have assets ready to go. They, they had a lab laboratory stood up before ours was stood up. Um, and then they, they went to market um, embracing that industry. Mm -hmm. So some of my friends that have businesses where their states legalized later than us are substantially larger than we are in this space. Yeah. Now you, you made a comment lab. Is, did you really have a special thing you had to put? I mean, you do a lot of other gases, spec gases and all. Was your lab, or was there something additional you had to do in your lab to really be able to cater to that market? 
Yeah, we we did. We ended up putting in um, a lab specific for for looking at the butane molecule or for looking at the carbon molecules. And uh, we put in equipment that allowed us to be able to look at C1 through C5, um, has the capability to go C1 through C7 um, and butane falls in there. Uh, we were able to put that together uh, and we really thought we'd have a lot of customers that were wanting certifications uh, versus just uh, paperwork showing, you know, they wanted certs on the pay on the product they were getting. So, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. And that's, and that's really for the extraction that that product's being used for the extraction. You know, that brings up a curious question. One of the things I thought was fascinating on your website, one very impressive that you have the type of training classes you have. I mean, you can go on your website and you can sign up for a class for an all day long training on TIG or an all day long uh, training on MIG. And I think you have other certifications. The one that I thought was really fascinating was your NFPA 58 Transfill Compliance Training. Is that related to the cannabis? Because you why you have that or where does that fit in? I'm just curious about the transfilling training. Is that for the general customer public or is that specific something else? That ends up, oh, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say that's specific to the extractors using um, imbutane or propane for their extraction process. And it is a requirement uh, here in the area that they have to do a recertification every three years on how to handle and transfer imbutane and how to handle that properly within the organization. So that class was started several years ago yeah. uh, by another individual here who's not here, but we picked it up with our other spec gas person. So that class is uh, run uh, once a month. I think it's like the first Tuesday of the month. Okay. And we typically now we're seeing, you know, those repeat customers that need their recertification um, through that, uh, through the NFPA. So, and, and that's just so they can take the product out of the tank and bring it into the, their operating piece of equipment. Is that correct? Yeah. As a transfill, Ed could speak to how that works probably better than I can, but uh, that's part of what the, that uh, certification is a requirement within. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but what a what a clever thing to do to have the they, they need the requirement. You want to sell the gas, right? You are now the person tied into helping them be able to get the gas into the, their process and be able to meet their needs. That's interesting. Well, that's part of that's part of our DNA. Um, you know, it, after we got over the fact that we weren't breaking the law anymore, um, <laughs> and, and that our assets weren't going to get seized, we we put our heads together and said, well, then how can we supply this industry with excellence? And so providing educational resources so that they're safe um, is, is something that we do in other verticals for our business. And really, I don't know another distributor in our market that's doing that. I could, I could be wrong on that, but. Um, uh, we're the only distributor that's doing that training. In fact, I think we're the only resource doing this training currently. There was another one in the area, but they've since stopped providing that service. Yeah. And is that, is that something that's a, a national law? Is that more just specific to your area? Is that a national law? If you're going to be doing this, this product, you have to have that as a end user to have that certification. I can't believe that's a local law. Yeah, I think that's a local primary through Denver yeah, uh, metro area. Yeah, I'd say that. I, I think it's um, specific to Denver, though Denver being the first one for this uh, for this whole thing to happen in a lot of the stuff that Denver has done and requirements that they've laid down has been uh, contagious for other 
for other municipalities, uh, specifically municipalities around our location. But I know that they've been working with folks in uh, Las Vegas and, and other parts of the country now are starting to adopt some of the stringent stuff that Denver requires. Yeah. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, right? That's going to follow. They're going to look at where the kind of landmark of how other people have been successful and what they've required to do. And that does usually follow. That's interesting. I, I got to tell you, I, I have heard that if you are at your facility, I mean, I've not been to your facility, but I have heard that it is the most amazing experience as an employee to be in your facility relative to how you work with your break rooms and all that. So I was wondering, <clears throat> excuse me, who might have been the the developer of that? Who Who is the developer of that that could speak a little bit to that whole atmosphere you have for your employees? The, the reinvest in, in our facilities philosophy, my dad, uh, deeply ingrained in the business. And so, you know, we have a general contractor that we've worked with um, for well over 20 years that does work for nobody else besides general air. Yeah. And we're also uh, evaluating bringing that position in house uh, as far as updating the facilities. Um, we were really inspired by one of our peers. I mean, if you think our facility looks good, I would, I'd encourage everybody to go visit Nexair, uh, corporate headquarters, um, and that, that, is, that is very back. nice. Yeah, it's uh, very nice. Yeah, it's you gorgeous. You got the vintage truck when you come in. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, we don't have that. Um, but uh, one of the things that so there's an operational system that General Air has embraced that we know other distributors have embraced as well. It's it's called EOS for traction, and um, traction divides your your business up into lots of different teams that are meeting on a regular basis. And so if you look at general area, we have about 38 teams that are, are meeting on some sort of frequency. I'd say 80% of those are meeting once a week, wow. maybe 60% of those are once a week. And then somewhere on an every other week cadence. Well, one of the things that we wanted to have as an organization was a, a, a every one of our facilities to have a meeting space that would be modern and up-to-date and comfortable. And uh, we have been blessed with a super talented uh, marketing uh, uh, director that has a, an art degree. And so as we've brainstormed our different facilities and how we're gonna renovate them and, and make them more inviting for our employees, uh, a recruiting tool uh, and give them a place that they're proud of. It's just been something that we've started on our journey. And to be honest, every one of our facilities are going to be touched within the next three years. Yeah. Um, plus, if you look at where we're located geographically, I mean, we're a mile from downtown Denver. And uh, prior to this pandemic, um, hiring in Denver was just unbelievably difficult. Um, I don't remember, Ryan, what our unemployment rate was at, somewhere around 2%, less than 2%. Yeah, and so as we remodeled our corporate office, part of the drive behind it was, um, was to help us in our recruiting efforts so that we looked modern and up-to-date and inviting uh, and that, that it represented our brand in the marketplace. 
So, so, and boy, how foresightful that was, because now, as we all know, the, the most difficult thing is retention and being able to want to attract new people and keeping the folks working that you've had working for you uh, in all companies across the country are challenged with that right now. And yet you guys have created an environment. So I want to ask you a little bit uh, as kind of the testing lab. Have you seen have you seen the effect of your retention with some of the things you've done? I'm sure you've done many other things other than having really wonderful facilities. I think I would think that makes a big statement to the people working for you that they are really people you care about and and the environment is, is conducive. Um, so I, if you could maybe speak to that a little bit. I'll let Ryan take that one. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that we look at is that we really value our employees and their opinions. And so the traction process, like Brad has talked about, is and we're getting people to talk about, you know, what's what's keeping them up at night and, and not just usually those conversations are had like at the executive and senior management level. It, but we're driving that all the way down. You know, what would make your job easier? What would make it better? And then we do employee surveys as well and getting that feedback and put in together action items that we can take to our organization to know that their voices are being heard. And yep. so, I mean, every year we've heard of that. And when we, you know, did it, uh, informally and both formally doing a survey, the number one word that came out is the, the word family, right? And we know most of us all sitting here have worked for great and uh, exceptional managers and the, the adverse is true, right? We've all worked for managers that, uh, we were hoping that uh, we had a different opportunity presented to ourselves so that we can get out from underneath that individual. And, you know, that's some, 70% of people leave because of their manager. Right. And so I, I believe we've equipped our managers and they do an exceptional job listening to our employees and meeting them where they're at. That's one of the biggest keys is they meet them where they're at. I mean, there's Ed and then Mike can have amazing conversations of how they've flipped some of their departments and the energy that are in that department. Ed could talk about our crier department and the energy that's there and the synergy that they've created over the last three years. They really work together towards each other and making each other successful. And, it, you know, it starts with the manager in that group. And, you know, Mike's the same way. Our, our drivers are here. And it's because when I do, when we talk about our drivers and what they're doing, they come back and say, man, whatever it takes uh, to get the job done and support people. We don't have a lot of people that are saying, um, man, that's not part of my job. And that's one of the things that we really attacked. We have people saying, what does it take to do the job? versus, you know, that's not my job. And you find that, that breath throughout the entire organization is what do we need to do to be successful? And I think it stems at knowing they know that we're here to invest in them and their success, because we know that that's a key to, to a successful organization, a successful branch. And so our managers do an exceptional job. You know, that's a great point you just make. It is a wonderful litmus test when everybody's looking at how they can help. What's the thing we can all do? Suggesting ideas, giving ideas. That's that, that tells you've got an organization running really well and people are engaged and want to be there and want to be part of it versus just coming and putting in their hours and all. So that, that, and I imagine that will make a big difference in retention, but you talked about how you do surveys. Do you do those surveys by, by an email? Do you do surveys by talking to folks? Uh, is it a suggestion box when you say survey? How do you go about surveys where you really kind of get the right pulse? So we do a third party survey annually, uh, usually around November, where uh, that organization comes in through an email. They take a, you know, it's five to seven minute questionnaire that really looks at different categories from culture, business acumen, ex execution, you know, and what we're doing. And we take those those answers like this year we had, you know, about 106 people answer it. Um, and then we had about almost 400 comments 
and the executive team and uh, other teams meet together, review all those comments. And we meet with it like just a couple of weeks ago, met with Ed and Mike went over that and we talked about, you know, okay, how can we address some of their concerns and also celebrate some of the successes, right? So we do that. And then Brad talked about it, traction. That is an open suggestion box, uh, either weekly or every other week where we're coming in and they're, they're able that nothing is off, off limits, right? Bring your ideas, bring frustrations to you. Let's talk about it, but not admire the problem. Let's reach towards solution and really in pushing them to, okay, you brought the problem. What can we do to reach a solution yeah. and engaging them in, in finding that solution? Not just saying, you know, Oh, I'm going to bring this monkey, put it on Ed's back and Ed gets to carry it around to try to find the solution. It's like, okay, great. We brought this to our team. How can we solve this as, as together and using the resources that we have available to us? So if I could ask the group in 2021, if you had to say your top one or two things, that may have surprised you, but also the ones that became those things that you really needed to work on or was brought up to what, what stands out at you in 2021 that were like, either it was a surprise or, or they were just the, the top ones you found yourself saying, we really got to work on this. I, I would say probably what surprised me most was the, um, was the operating system that we've talked about now a couple of times, uh, the impact that that operating system has had in um, fostering the the things that the employees need. Um, I mean, there's, there's employees that need to know where we're going. They want to have a, a clear view of what the vision looks like in the company. Um, there's employees that want that involvement with solving problems. Uh, and that is part of our, our weekly meetings. Um, there's, there's being able to understand what the issues are and, and, uh, work towards solution. But it seems like that traction platform has been, um, ideal for, for helping us move in that direction. And like Brad said, there is a lot of teams that are meeting currently, um, and everybody's involvement's there. And it feels like you really are part of the team and you understand that everybody's moving in the same direction. Yeah, that's great. Mike, what would you say to that? You know, I am still, um, incredibly surprised on a positive that for two years now we've been going around and seems like everyone says, you know, close your curtains, stay, stay inside, don't go outside. And yet we have a workforce that continues to show up, continues to put in the effort, the energy, the time, the time away from their families to get the job done, uh, to fill orders, to meet customer needs and requests. And, uh, you know, whether I should or shouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's the expectation, right? Yeah. Um, but it's just for two years now, it feels like, you know, society has been just that drum keeps beating about, hey, guys, you know, this is the environment we're in, stay home, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we continue to show up, do things the right way, do things safely, and uh, continue to serve our customers and, you know, like to believe it's with excellence. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that probably really comes back to people wanting to be part of something, right? They want to, as we all know, it's not how much you get paid per hour. That's your number one thing. Usually it's really all those other things. How you how you feel connected? Is your voice being heard yeah. out there making a difference? Do you feel part of something that's really yeah. changing? And then just to piggyback off uh, traction, because I agree with everything that, uh, you know, Brad, Ryan and Ed and Scott have shared, but so you have the team impact, you know, this particular team, this particular team, but what often, you know, creates the the action items, the movement is we've created perspective between the two teams because so many of the to do's and the action items that come out of a specific team's L10 is dependent on talking to another team. And then you talk to that team, bring it back, 
to the original L10, and you've created a sense of perspective and deepening understanding on maybe why something happens the way it does or brings to light, you know, the frustration um, and why, you know, if we did this a little bit different, it makes a world of difference, uh, this output. Um, so not just the specific team interaction and all the positives that have been brought with it, but then when you start getting each team interacting with other teams throughout the organization, not just at one facility, but you know, whether it's a, a branch location or our admin team or credit department, it just is a, I mean, I think so much of our progress and you know, that's the engine really. So, yeah. Interesting. If, you know, Ryan, if, if you thought of 2022 and you put on your paper as we're, you know, looking at going into 22, what do I need to worry about? What am I really focused on to have the continuing success you've had as a company and continuing growth? Do you have like a number one and a number two? Uh, I mean, for us, it's, it's bringing closure to with some of the projects we're working on. So, you know, Ed, Brad, and Mike can talk about this. We have uh, some big items that was have taken longer than uh, we've wanted to do off the ground. And so launching into dry ice, that's been, uh, you know, an adventure for us there. We're getting a new state of the art gas lab um, that, you know, is going to really be a destination for people and bring, you know, what we can bring to the market uh, to the next level there and, and our well the repair facility and trans transitioning uh, from what we're currently doing to what you know we're, our capabilities are going to be in the future. I think bringing those to a closure. We also have a warehouse project that's being uh, you know launched and kicked off the ground. That's really going to take you know our ability to meet the needs of our customers to the next level. And so I, mean, I really see us in the next year being able to be a place that is a destination for people to come through because they're going to want to see how you can operate distribution and yeah. with excellence. And so those, those are the really the things I'm really excited for in 22. So I, I the gas lab, uh, gosh, that sounds pretty interesting to me. So everybody has gas labs, right? And they're all, all kinds of great equipment in there. When you say to the next level and really the state of art to another, bring it to another level, you know, what, what is that difference? What is the difference between having a, you know, five nines purities and doing maybe mixes and other kinds of things? What's that next level when you, when you're talking about that? I'll let Ed talk a little bit more about that, but we'll have some capabilities that I believe no other district distributor has, but uh, this is really Ed's baby. And so yep. I'd be remiss to, to answer that yeah. question. Okay, Ed, Ed, what, so, what is it? Tell us, what is this thing? When we walk in a room, what's going to be different? What's going to look like? What's the one? So our next level is, is our lab is not going to look like a lab that's built within an industrial facility. <laughs> that is currently what most labs look like that are out there. Um, our lab is going to look like what um, the average person envisions as a laboratory. Um, we're probably not going to go to the extent of white coats. Um, you know, it might, it might be a possibility, but we definitely want that type of uh, aura in the environment. Um, but we're going to have capabilities that we don't have today. We're still going to be looking and able to look at the, at the five nines. Um, but what we're going to have is some automated filling capabilities that we currently don't have. We're going to have, um, 
equipment also that does automated testing right now everything gets moved before it's tested uh, we're going to be able to do automated filling we'll be able to do uh, automated analysis right off the fill line and um, it doesn't take the operator completely out of it but it changes drastically as far as what you're able to do and what you can what you can put through there yeah yeah that you're looking at that could open up other markets uh, that you can now move into or, or bring this the level up make maybe make it make it more difficult for competitors when you can bring a different yeah we are definitely looking at what we current what the what's currently out there and what we have to source from other places we will definitely be looking at that and saying hey what can we and what will we bring back into into house um, but with those capabilities as as we get smarter and better in the lab um, yeah it does open up the Hey, what sales, what does sales see is out there and can we do it now? Yeah. That's We've great. really been evaluating uh, Ed's team in particular uh, product flow through our facilities. So we think we're going to get much greater efficiencies uh, as we lay out this, this new laboratory. But, you know, one of the terms that we've been using this last year is, is that uh, we want to be tour ready and the, the term that we're really coining moving forward is that we're going to be tour worthy. And so when um, when we have customers that are, are making a decision on, on, on who their supplier should be, we want them to come to our facility and really experience the difference. Yep. And we've got like five major capital uh, projects that, that Ryan was talking about all underway at the same time which maybe is not the best strategy ever, but it's, it's pretty true to how general air operates. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to get these buttoned up and as, um, as we encourage our sales force to bring customers in, uh, we think that there's going to be significant wow factor for a mature business. I mean, this is our 52nd year uh, of being in business and uh, we really feel like we're on a different trajectory Um you know, this year really taking it to the next level. Yeah. And then, and then you guys have got dry ice and hydrogen, and I'd like to start with hydrogen. So as a distributor, a lot of times, you know, you look at hydrogen, especially liquid hydrogen, it's kind of like something happening, but it might not really be in the bailiwick a typical distributor can, can, you know, enjoy all the benefits of the growth in that market segment. Do you see hydrogen as a growth opportunity for you? Yes but not as much as I see it for other distributors. Um, so, I mean, uh, we, we've been reading about and learning about how hydrogen is, is, is a, a growth product, lots of investment from the, the majors uh, in this space. Um, some of my industry peers are, are, are putting in large liquid um, systems. And certainly it's a growth molecule for us, but not on the same scale in this geography uh, as we see in other geographies. Um, so, okay. And, and is, can I ask you why you think that's not in your geography as much of an opportunity? Um, I don't understand. I mean, so, yeah, you know, I've got a, uh, we've got friends that own a business down South uh, and evidently it's used a lot in the, the petrochemical industry because that's that's one of the bigger industries that they serve. Um, I got a friend that's got a large uh, hydrogen business in the Northwest. I'm not exactly sure what industry that's, uh, what that's tapping into and serve, but 
Um, I mean, as we track our volumes, we added some additional capability to our, our hydrogen yeah. uh, this last year by buying a couple jumbos. But I don't know, Mike, are you seeing a significant increased demand for hydrogen for us? No, it's uh, I mean, there's a little bit of growth. Uh, we've had a few new accounts this last year that came on for bulk deliveries, but, you know, nothing that would uh, not a needle mover. Um, okay. it's a steady, a very slight gradual increase over the last several years. Uh, why we added the second jumbo cause one jumbo typically serves our own needs to fill, uh, high pressure cylinders and then one makes deliveries, but okay. No, it just normal growth. So then the other one was dry ice and man, we've heard a lot about dry ice around the country, a lot of things going on and also shortages of CO2, right? Large, large effects around the country, uh, depending on whether people shut her down plants, making ethanol and other areas that they get the CO2. Uh, so I thought it's been challenging for a lot of folks making dry ice. Uh, you are were previously doing dry ice. Is this a new, new segment for you guys? Or is it, is it something you're just expanding on? We, we currently buy and resell dry ice currently. Um, and yes, we, we have heard a lot about dry ice for the last few years at nauseum. Uh, as, and we would come back from different meetings and say, why is everybody else's dry ice business growing exponentially and, and ours isn't? Well, we think the secret sauce is we've just been students to what others are doing is uh, fresh, Fresh product is the name of the game and in, in, in speed of delivery. Okay. And so um, we have not been unhappy with our supplier. They've been a very good supplier, but we have grown to the point where we need to make the product ourselves and distribute ourselves. And so we've been putting together a facility to do so. You know, the permitting process in Colorado on, on simple projects is long and laborious. And so we're, we're in the middle of all those, those details currently, hopefully on the other side of it soon. Okay. And we've purchased all the equipment. Um, mm -hmm. So everything from a, you know, a large pelletizer to a block press to automated bandsaw. Uh, we own it all. And some of it we have on site uh, ready to rock and roll. We just need to get a, a building permit. Uh, yeah. That's great. So that we so can start on this building. So it's going to happen. You got it all ready to go. You just got to get it, get through the permitting process and you're up and running. Yeah. But see, we do have concerns with CO2. Again, we have an excellent CO2 supplier. Uh, it is primarily an ethanol source with okay. a, a natural well source with a, they also buy some product um, from an ammonia uh, plant and CO2 is tight in this market. Um, we've been with the right supplier and we've, we've, uh, We've not been on allocation, but we have had to manage our deliveries and our product like we were on allocation, um, but no customer was left unserved. So yeah. we do have some concerns, um, you know, as, as we grow this product, but um, we figure we'll, we'll figure that out. You know, we got to sell it first and then we'll figure out how to, how to get it to customer second. Yeah. I imagine, Mike, imagine that that particular product probably gives you a lot of logistics. Maybe at nighttime, you might have a few dreams about logistics of trucks trying to. Yeah. Yeah. I wake up in cold sweat sometimes. My wife doesn't understand our, our headaches. Just it's, it's tough to communicate, but um, it's uh, yeah, for sure. This summer we had a, about a three week period that uh, some of the majors in the market 
we're really including our own supplier. We're really up against it. So some really big bulk tanks that we were trying to supplement with our micro bulk fleet, which uh, we were able to, but you know, um, you can only put so much product out of a micro bulk truck into a bulk tank, which means you're going multiple times a day, potentially at the consumption rate, customers using it, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a challenge, but that's what is so engaging and energizing about the job. You're constantly playing a game of Tetris, yeah. you know, it's not Jenga, it's Tetris. Cause you're trying to make all these different pieces fit. And, uh, you know, you just keep plugging away and, uh, there's definitely a, a lot of satisfaction at the end of each day when you're like, oh, it's a pretty fun day. We accomplished yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, made, it, made it happen. You know, we're, we're always but striving. Logistic, logistically, and Mike can speak to this dry ice now for us is painful logistically. Oh. And we're going to pick up lots of efficiencies by manufacturing it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So again, it goes back to the repackaging. You know, our ice, when it hits our dock, is typically already two to three days old, which oh. uh, is, yeah. is a senior citizen in ice years. Um, so, so just to be able, and then obviously we have to buy X percent more ice. That's just waste. So, um, because we try to keep the ice we're going to take to a customer fresh. Um, so, I mean, we, we have a, you know, a not so fun waste number that we look at every month. Um, so yeah, just to get a lot more efficient, some of the hours we have personnel working to help package it, um, by bringing ice in house, it's just going to be a lot more efficient. Um, you know, the, the margin should increase exponentially. It's just a, it's going to be a great, a great tool once we have it deployed. So, you know, as Mitchie comment, you made fresh for the folks that have not, and including myself, I've, I've not done a lot of dry ice sales. Uh, so when you're doing dry ice sales, why is that word fresh so important? I know on a liquid doer, you got to worry about something and you know, boil off and, and losing, having a loss rate of gas but you still have the, whatever gas is left in the tank. Is there something different about dry ice when it's three or four days old, other than you have less of it, some of it's gassed off? Yeah. I'm, I was going to say, especially in the blasting side of the equation, which uh, we are, we have equipment to get into that market, but when the blasting rice is a couple of days old, it's softer, it's, it's sublimated, and it's not near as efficient in a blasting operation. Oh. So when you have fresh ice that's been made today and probably going to use it today. Um, that end result on that side of the equation is it's much more efficient. Your results are, are, are much better versus trying to use ice that's two, three, four days old. Yeah. It's like mush. So right. it's, it's not think of, think of ice cream, fresh ice cream or ice cream that's been left out for yeah. a couple of days uh, sitting <laughs> on an ice cream cone. <laughs> And, you know, when you think about some of the applications for dry ice, uh, call it food preservation, uh, as a lot of the direct to home food businesses have, have popped up. I mean, they, they need that ice fresh and cold uh, as it's going to make its way to perhaps across the country to yeah. uh, the doorstep. And that's actually why independent distributors are pretty excited about this business, because it's a service-based business it, and it lends to, if you can get in the game from a capital standpoint uh, and in a volume standpoint, well, then it becomes who's got the fastest, most responsive logistics, who's the hungriest. And we think that the, the, the regional independent um, will bode well uh, with, with customers that, that have those kind of expectations. Yeah. 
That is a very great point because your infrastructure is made to quickly get bottles of gas or cryogenics or bulk tanks delivered and filled. And here you are with a product that if you can't do that well, that's a big differentiator in the marketplace. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really appreciate explaining that about the rice uh, with the blasting. It makes so much sense with the way you explain that. And uh, I I can imagine the person that's using that product can night and day see the difference when they're going to work with it. Well, we don't know yet. But we'll tell you in a year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The question was 2022, what we're excited about. Right. So we just started. We just launched in. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I wanted to ask you, Brad, this question. Brad, you get up in the morning, you come to work. What is the thing that you get so excited about? What, what, what energizes you? You know, um, the thing that, that uh, I get most excited about is uh, when I contribute to the resolution of some major problem that we're having in the business that takes us to the next level. So, you know, uh, an example of that is, we've we've outgrown our facility in Commerce City and, and so we we have had to really brainstorm even where to park people. I mean, if you, the thing we're most excited about last week is we got a new parking lot painted <laughs> and, and have plenty of spots. Um, but one of my challenges as I, as I committed to help our operations team was, okay, let's, let's figure out how we can get more parking. Did some research, did some planning, was able to acquire a piece of property right across the street. You know, just yeah, all, all the cards just fell correctly and and it fit within our vision. So we're going to move uh, our our welding repair department so that we can build our new lab. We're going to we're gonna, we finally have a building to start making dry ice. And, you know, I was at the center point of, of helping resolve a, a major problem in our business. And that to me is very gratifying. And um, as I've looked at a lot of our different markets, we have different challenges because we've outgrown our facilities or uh, outgrown some of our capabilities. So just partnering with our people, brainstorming and making it happen. That's a great day for me. Yeah. That would be very motivating. And it makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like that's the whole culture of the company, right? How, how do we look at an opportunity when something's an issue or a problem? How do we find the opportunity in it and then make it happen? And that there's that, that's a pretty satisfying feeling, right? For everybody in your organization, it sounds like you have the same thing on different teams. You have 100 teams going on, working on different things. So each one of those will have some resolve. And, and I imagine it helps you know bring the next level of motivation to the next thing you're working on. Correct. Um, if, if I was to ask any one of you guys something that everybody should really know about your company and what differentiates it in your mind and makes it such a unique and really different than most companies you would find yourself out there, what would you say that, if I just went down the list really quickly, what would you say the one quick one thing you'd say would be that's the thing? Man, I, I think I'd pipe up with uh, continuous improvement. Okay. I mean, regardless of where it's at, whether it's in the, the knowledge, whether it's in our process, whether it's in personnel, um, I mean, continuous improv- uh, improvement. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, I would probably uh, sure tell that too. Uh, we're never satisfied with uh, with the status quo. We're always looking to improve. Uh, you look at our technology uh, and things we've done uh, in the IT department, uh, developing internal apps with our internal programmers have uh, really enhanced 
our improvements over the last several years. Ryan's IT team uh, has just done a fantastic job of uh, some of the tools that have been developed um, that we get to utilize and get the benefit from. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I think I'm just going to repeat the same theme, but I'll throw out the word ownership. Um, every employee, I think, has a sense of ownership to what their their role is and their piece to the puzzle that we're trying to put together, um, you know, through a variety of different reasons. But um, continuous improvement, uh, never satisfied, you know, ownership, it, it's all kind of the same thing overall theme but and that's what makes it so fun that everyone that's in the same room and you're working with you know they all have the same energy and the same motivation to, to solve the problem and it just makes it a lot easier when you uh have that environment versus you know sometimes you get some of their curmudgeons that you have to push along and come right. on this is why it, so um that just makes it a lot easier great great ryan um, I'd probably say uh, we're uncommonly capable um, from the way that we service and go to market to help our customers, the way we care for our employees and the way we don't back down from innovation and are, are willing to take on risks uh, to either grow internally or for our customers. So okay, great. And Brad. It, it starts with a, a, a strong foundation and from that strong foundation, we have been afforded the ability to um, hire, uh, to attract, to hire, to keep very talented people, and then to work with them to unleash their creative energies for um, for the betterment of our, our our business and our employees and our customers. Um, but you know, we'd be remiss if we stand on a strong foundation financially uh, strong and in the marketplace. And then from here, we've just had this focus. How do we get better? How do we get better? And we, I'm just surrounded by super talented people yep. that I try not to get in their way, uh, try to put wind in their sail and, and let them do their thing. And, um, and we have an appetite um, to be radically different in the marketplace. And uh, so we do fun things um, and we've been blessed in the process. Yeah. That's, I got to tell you, just listening to the podcast today with all you guys, I'm energized. I'm excited, you know, because looking at how many different things you have happening and, and, and boy, I think so many times this came up, but the being able to have people working together and then accomplishing things, be able to celebrate those. That, that is a, that's always motivating. Right. And that's, that's, that's attracts people that want to be part of that success. So that's, that's fantastic. You guys sound like a fantastic job. If interested in products mentioned in this podcast, Rotterman has the largest selection of compressed gas and cryogenic equipment and supplies. You can view our complete offering at rmiorder.com through our digital catalog or online store. We also offer a printed 1,300-page catalog. Go to rmimfg.com slash catalog request.